Hey everyone, welcome to the Finding Fire podcast. I'm your host, Matt LaFlamme. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Miller. And the Finding Fire podcast provides content that impacts individuals in hopes to inspire, educate, and motivate them to take action to achieve their personal and professional passions through consultations with entrepreneurs and professionals at the top of their game. And please be sure to subscribe, follow us at Finding Fire Podcast, and we greatly appreciate it if you left us a review. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. Marketing is is at its core about positioning a product, service, or brand to a consumer, motivating them to take the action you want them to take when you want them to take it. It is an incredibly arrogant discipline to think that you can get into the mindset of a consumer figure out their wants, their needs, and then put a brand on their brain to motivate them on the day and time or the season or month that you want them to take an action or purchase to do it. And it's an incredibly bold thing. Wow. That was a powerful statement about marketing. This conversation that we had with Doug really reminded me and really reinvigorated my passion for marketing. And Doug Zarkin sat on our list for a long time And I never thought it would be possible to get Doug Zarkin on our podcast. But Ryan, how'd you do it? Yeah, so a few years ago, I attended a conference where Doug Zarkin, current chief marketing officer of ProVision, was a keynote speaker. And he talked about the importance of branding, what a marketer is beyond the textbook definition, and how to get in the mindset of a consumer to motivate them to take action. And I had the opportunity to touch base and connect with Doug after the keynote speaker, but I just never took that chance, and I was afraid to go say hi. And since we started this podcast, I think that's one thing that's helped me is to just ask that question. I reached out to Doug um, via a direct uh, message on on social um, and, and asking him just that, that I, I attended one of his conferences. I definitely connected with his with his speech, and I just didn't get a chance to connect with him after that. And he said, absolutely. Name and time, let's connect. Awesome. Super cool. Super great conversation, guys. You're going to learn a ton. Thank you again. Enjoy the episode. Fantastic. So whenever you guys are ready, go for it. All right. Perfect. Well, All right. if you want to introduce yourself and talk about uh, what role you're in and with which company. Sure. So um, my name is Doug Zarkin. I am the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for Pearl Vision. ProVision is a brand within the Essilor Luxottica portfolio. Brand was started in 1961 by Dr. Stanley Pearl. Uh, We are the preeminent optical franchise business in North America. We have roughly about 600 eye care centers in the U.S., Canada, and Puerto Rico. Um, Eight out of 10 of our locations are owned by um, our franchisees, and the majority of our franchisees are either doctors or opticians. And how did you how did you land with Pearl Vision? How did you become CMO? So um, you know, like most things in life, it really comes down to relationships. And uh, I was approached by somebody who was at the company that I had worked with previously when I was at Limited Brands as the uh, vice president of marketing for Victoria's Secret Pink, who um, mentioned that at the time, um, Retail Optical North America which is the, the division in which Pearl Vision sits in, was really looking to overhaul their marketing excellence. Um, for Pearl Vision in particular, it was a brand that was 
somewhat stuck in neutral. Um, and if you've ever worked or know anybody who's ever worked on a franchise business, if you're not growing, that's not a good thing. And, you know, despite the fact that the business was, was profitable and, and positive comp sales, there wasn't really momentum. There really wasn't a vision for the business, no pun intended. And so was brought in to really not only stabilize the business, but most importantly, chart the course forward to help really accelerate this brand and, and really get it to start growing. Yeah, that's really cool. And and I just want to backtrack just a little bit, just you as a marketer, um, like what is it to you in your eyes, what is a marketer and why, I guess, why and when did you become so like, and passionate um, just to follow that path, which ultimately led you to pro right now. But just, yeah, what is a marketer in your eyes? And I guess, when did you realize like, this is kind of, this is for me? Um, you know, I, I look at marketing very pragmatically. You know, if you were to read the definition of marketing in any undergraduate or perhaps even graduate te textbook, they're going to give you a very lofty answer. Um, but I think as I think about what marketing is and why I enjoy it, marketing is, is at its core about positioning a product, service, or brand to a consumer, motivating them to take the action you want them to take when you want them to take it. It is an incredibly arrogant discipline to think that you can get into the mindset of a consumer, figure out their wants, their needs, listen to what they're saying, determine what they're not saying, what they really, really mean, and then put a brand on their brain to motivate them on the day and time or the season or month that you want them to take an action or purchase to do it. And it's an incredibly bold thing. Um, in fact, it probably looks better on a resume than just saying CMO. <laughs> when, when I realized just how much a balance marketing is between art and science, is probably when the, the light switch went off and said, yeah, this is, this is where I want to build my career. Um, because I think part of the notion of thinking differently, the fact that there is no playbook, um, especially in the last 18 months, that to me excites me because it requires me as a leader and as a motivator of, of high-performing teams to really dig in, to listen in order to lead, to chart a course, to take some risks, but most importantly, to, to think um, and I, I enjoy the notion of thinking in order to act um, and then what that brings to the business. Yeah. I, um, let's talk about that for a second, like 18 months back during the pandemic, we can maybe hone in specifically on the eye care, um, you know, slash healthcare industry with Pearl, you know, how, how did you innovate? Like, what was that like in that industry to just to innovate. And like you said, there, there's not a playbook. Like it's interesting to see like, okay, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Belichick doesn't have a third down in global pandemic and his playbook. Um, and certainly we didn't have one in ours, but it, it for us was an opportunity to really get back to the notion of human truths. Um, something this brand had been doing very well on the last nine years that I've been a part of it and figure out from a human perspective, what was the situation at hand? And then what did we need to do as a brand that really believes in caring for the people behind the eyes in order to connect the dots? And for us, it was very simple. Eye care was never fully shut down. We were deemed an essential service, but we did have to migrate from anybody who wanted an eye exam to basically saying to someone, listen, unless you're a frontline worker or you're experiencing trauma or you've broken your glasses or you've run out of context, listen, we need you to put your exam on hold. So we actually had to let those in the community know 
that while we were open for business, we were only open for essential care. And that's an incredibly bold thing to, to feel that you have enough of a relationship with the consumer to essentially tell them to not act. I just spent five minutes telling you that marketing is about motivating somebody to take the action you want when you want them to take it. Yeah. I all of a sudden was faced with the notion of trying to motivate a consumer not to take action, but to hold off and eventually take action when the world changed. And we were very fortunate that when we opened our doors you know, more towards everyday care than essential care, our consumers came back, our, our community members came back in droves. And the second half of 2020 was the strongest second half this business has had in, in 20 years. Wow. So as you develop this plan, so I have a couple of questions from an organizational standpoint. Sure. Um, overall, you're, you're underneath Luxottica as the parent company, correct? Absolutely, Exotica is the is the organization that owns Pearlvision, correct? Okay, and was it Luxottica coming down saying, "Hey, Doug, here's our here's our overall arching plan, and we'd like you to implement that throughout no. the organization"? No, that's okay. not how the organization works. Um, you know, if you were an organization, whether you're SLO Exotica or Phil Van Heusen or Heusen or LVMH that has a portfolio of brands in certain categories. You have to create swim lanes. You have to create differentiation. And it's up to the individual leadership teams for those brands to really carve out what they believe to be the path forward. What I'm doing on Pearl is different than what my colleagues are doing on LensCrafters and what my friends are doing on Target Optical. It's really my job, not only ethically, but legally, to optimize this business, to ensure that Pearl Vision is winning. And if somebody else has to lose in order for us to win, that's just a reality of being competitive business in a competitive category. Okay. And then throughout, as you were implementing your COVID strategy, um, any challenges rolling that out to 600 different eye care centers with working? A thousand percent. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we're, we're in, you know, every DMA was in a different state. I mean, you know, in a different state of, of open or close. I mean, the folks in Florida didn't believe that COVID even existed. <laughs> yeah, the folks in New York, you know, you were under complete lockdown. So we had to vacillate our approach based on the market conditions. You know, overall, the standard of care that we that we strive to deliver should be somewhat universal, whether you're in Chicago, Minneapolis, or New York. But when it came to the COVID protocols, when it came to the degree of openness that we are, it's very much at a local level. In some cases, it was at a, at a, at a county level, um, not even a DMA level. So yes, as an organization, there were, there were certain court, current COVID protocols that we put in place, regardless of where you were, whether you were in US, Canada, or Puerto Rico. But truly, we were watching the CDC website. We were looking at the Department of Health, um, both nationally and locally, to figure out where we fit in. And in exact science, it was not. But you know, we were able to get through it and really jumpstart the business back in the second half of 2020. Wow. Yeah. I say before we kind of leave the pandemic topic, I guess now what changes have you seen? Um, it can be with Pearl or just even different organizations that you've seen, you know, this is what we can kind of open this pandemic, you know, unfortunately sure. opened our eyes to, you know, maybe working remotely, but maybe something more towards Pearl where you're like, wow, we didn't think about doing it this way until the pandemic happened. Yeah. I mean, what, one of the stupidest comments that I've heard coming out of pundits is that COVID has marked the death of brick and mortar retail, that consumers 
have realized the power of e-commerce and forever are going to shift their behaviors. That is somewhere stuck at the intersection of dumb and stupid. It's actually the complete opposite. And I'll tell you why. When you, when you have something taken away from you that you took for granted, when it is brought back to you, you begin to appreciate the differences between terrible and amazing, very clear. For brands like Pearl that are brick and mortar based, that are about people caring for people, the opportunity to reopen and invite people back into our eye care centers continued to establish Pearl Vision as a best in class brand because of the quality of care that we deliver. You know, people talked about especially in, 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 in marketing and branding that Amazon killed retail. Amazon didn't kill retail. Amazon killed shitty retail. Mm-hmm. If you opened up a brick and mortar establishment, had no point of difference, had no real strategy behind your assortment. And if your staff was terrible, yes, you aren't going to be successful because I'd rather order it on Amazon prime. But if you were really took pride in your brick and mortar, you had a healthy business. Amazon is really all about the small business. And what I would say is the result of, of COVID is that it, it's reaffirmed the importance of really creating strong relationships, not just with the consumers in your community, but the staff. I mean, the single biggest challenge that our eye care centers face right now is staffing. You know, finding and inviting those associates back that we unfortunately had to let go or furlough or that our franchisees had a part with in order to be able to make their rent payments but I will tell you what we are hearing from our patients is just a relief that they can go back and, and sit in front of that trusted eye care expert and get the care that they want and need. You know, I'm in a category that is at its heart, a medically driven category. Yes. It's incredibly sexy and fun to go buy a brand new pair of Ray-Bans or Oakley's or Vogue's or coach or whatever brand that you want to slot in there. But at its heart, eyewear is a medical device. And if you want to buy your medical device at the same place you buy your groceries because it's on sale, two pairs for $69, have fun. And there's room for you and there's options. But the consumer that we really embrace, that has embraced us, that has helped us grow to become the number one optical franchise on entrepreneurs top 500 list, to become one of the top most profitable franchise brands alongside McDonald's and Dunkin' is the consumer that really values care that puts their trust in people. And that's really where we excel. I love how you said that, you know, they're, they're your patient, they're not your customer. A customer wants service, the patient wants care. That's why we don't operate stores, we operate eye care centers. Because we don't talk about the people that come into our eye care centers as customers. Whether they're a patient in the exam lane or they're a retail patient on the retail floor, they're looking for somebody to care about them, to provide them amazing care not amazing service. Service is table stakes. Care raises the game and allows a challenger brand like us to really excel. You mentioned a couple of times, you know, creating an experience, even with the verbiage that you're using there. Um, Can you talk about creating and sustaining a culture throughout the organization that follows? Incredibly challenging, um, especially in a franchise system where you, you only have a certain degree of control executionally. It's about establishing milestone moments and pivotal foundation elements. You know, when I talk about the fact that Pearl Vision is a brand that cares about the people behind the eyes, um, we have developed an incredible neighborhood eye care experience, which is in no way about instructing an eye care expert on how to care for somebody. What it is, is it gives them cues and tools to help engage with that patient in the exam lane and on the retail floor 
so that the experience isn't us trying to sell you a pair of glasses. It's about guiding you through the experience for you to find your perfect pair. And, you know, from being able to understand certain lifestyle elements that could help you pick a particular lens or frame type to just simply asking someone how they're doing, listening to their questions, guiding them through the experience so that it's not something where you hand in your insurance card and all of a sudden you get handed a bill for $1,100 for a, you know, a pair of progressive lens, you know, Oakley's with progressive lenses in it. You understand why you've chosen a certain lens. You understand why your prescription is what it is and how what we're actually providing you is the finest medical device that happens to look amazing on your face. Can you talk about the, your franchise, your physician led in your franchises? What is it like with, um, you know, presenting them with marketing material or expanding um, kind of your foothold in the marketplace being physician led? I come from a hospital industry and I know it's you know, on the marketing side. So I kind of, I get that um, relationship, but it's interesting in a retail setting being physician, like can you talk a little bit about that process and kind of what that's yeah, like? Yeah, it is, you know, presenting a franchise system to begin with is terrifyingly exciting because, you know, you're dealing with individual business owners whose entire livelihood is, is wrapped up in one of your extensions, one of your, you know, brand outposts. And so when I approach and the team that I have the privilege to lead approaches these local co-op meetings with the individual markets, we have to respect the fact that this is not a brand, it's a, it's a livelihood. So you have to go in from a leadership perspective grounded in the notion of listening. It is all about trust at the end of the day. And you know we're dealing with a highly educated population, although when it comes to marketing, maybe they took a class 20 years ago in undergrad, or maybe they have a nephew or a niece or a cousin that works at an ad agency and you have to kind of deal with that. And that's okay. Cause I'd rather have a, a, a franchisee who's engaged than one who isn't, but you also have to recognize that they're paying a percentage of their sales to fund marketing. So they're looking for you to be a center of excellence. So be a center of excellence lead, but do it humbly at the same time, confidently through an active listening approach. And I will tell you, it took me a couple of years to break through the clutter with a lot of these um, folks. I mean, my the very first email that I got on my very first day at Pearl Vision, a little over nine years ago, was from, at the time, the head of the Franchisee Advisory Council, kind of like Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. And the email, and this is not an exaggeration, said the following, Dear Doug, welcome to Pearl Vision. I hope you suck less than the last person who had your job. full stop, full stop. So you have a couple different pathways to go from there. You can cry, you can laugh, or you can recognize what they basically said to you is we want you to think differently. Mm -hmm. I went through all of those stages, uh, maybe even hit under my desk for a little while, (laughs) and then started to try to discern where we were going to go and how we were going to get there. How do you how do you stay in touch with the frontline workers? Oh, it's not it's not it's not hard at all. <laughs> the franchise system is all about feedback. I will tell you when it's good, you hear it. When it's bad, you really hear it. <laughs> so, um, you know, feedback mechanisms exist. Every single franchisee has my cell phone number. A blessing and a curse. The first couple of years, I was getting phone calls 
on the soccer field while I was coaching my little guy's soccer team on a Saturday or Sunday. But it really was a symbol to show the community that, listen, I was going to get in, get dirty in order to build this. One of the things that we've done from a sophistication perspective is we have built a very strong relationship with a company called Reputation. Um, Reputation used to be called Reputation.com is a software management platform that allows us to manage and get a viewpoint into what our perceptions are at the local level through the Google My Business platform. And reputation is a commerce. Your reputation is a commerce. It is truly something that you trade on, trade in, and if you don't protect it, can be devalued quite quickly. In a franchise system, you are as good as your worst location because the consumer doesn't care, doesn't know that they may be owned by two different people. It's They went to ProVision A and it was amazing and their friend went to ProVision B and it was terrible. And so now they think the brand is terrible. So we use this platform to really keep tabs on how we're performing and also look at that performance relative to the reputation score. Um, and that gives us an incredible opportunity to dig into where problem children exist or to really think about and celebrate where opportunities lie. Are there, are there certain benchmarks then that a franchise owner has hit? Like you maybe mentioned like milestone moments. Um, yeah. I, I used to work for a franchise and I know that there was a period of time where he kind of basically shut down the business and let it ride for seven, eight months. And I mean, I know corporate reached out and stepped in. Does ProVision have those guidelines in order to maintain? A we have, we have a, an extremely comprehensive franchise agreement and even more comprehensive operations manual. Certainly. Sure. Um, you know, whether it's hours of operation, what they, what they're approved to sell both on the frame and lens side, um, you know, what they're approved to do from a marketing perspective. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, without guidelines, you know, a brand at its core is nothing more than a shared set of beliefs. Right. So if you don't have consistency in what those beliefs are and the behaviors that follow from it, then you're really not a brand. You're a bunch of locations that just have the same logo on top of your door. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are plenty of those that are out there, but in our system, you know, brand really comes down to that belief and that ability to execute consistently. Yeah. Kind of transitioning into branding um, and kind of going more on the personal side with you, like growing up, was there a certain brand that you just kind of gravitated towards um, or, you know, and if there was, is that when you, you know, just became super passionate about like branding and consumer strategy. You know, I, even though I went to, to graduate school and got my MBA in marketing, um, I actually didn't think I was going to go into the world of marketing and advertising. I actually thought I was going to be a fixed income trader. Oh. Um, you know, the, the next Bud Fox or Gordon Gecko, um, <laughs> like any child of the eighties and nineties, you know, that that's kind of where I had my heart set. But I realized very quickly as I started to pursue that path that that business model doesn't allow for a person to make a difference as a person. Part of what I love about what I do is I have the opportunity to make a difference, not just as the head of marketing for Pearl, but as Doug, as a human being. Mm -hmm. And whether that's in assembling a high-performing team, mentoring somebody, teaching a class, you know, 
the perspective making judgment calls sometimes in the absence of data is the thing that gets me up in the morning. Um, you know, as I think about growing up, some of the brands to me that did it really well, I probably couldn't tell you because at the time my, my mindset wasn't wired into, wow, that's a great brand. Mm-hmm. It was more wired into, I want that or I want this. I would say, you know, my first decade of my career was in the agency world and, you know, working my way up and through the agency world really affirmed for me as I had experiences with different brands and started to look at communication and advertising from the mindset of somebody who was in it, you know, this is what I really want to do. And, um, you know, certainly there are brands that I admire today and there are certainly brands that I just kind of like shake my head and say, what are they thinking? Um, and no, I'm not going to tell you the brands that I think are, what are they thinking? Cause it's, again, it's very subjective and they would be yeah. inappropriate, yeah. but I do think there are some incredible brands doing some great work out there in the market. You know, the insurance industry, I think is lighting it up on fire. I love what farmers and state farm and Geico and progressive are doing. They've taken an incredibly humdrum category and brought energy and excitement. You know, my 12 year old, you know, knows the jingles. And as frustrating as that is for me, it means that those guys are doing something right. Um, I think the folks at Snickers, I mean, the hangry platform and how they've built upon that is just marketing genius. Um, And so I admire what they're doing because they really took a very powerful strategic insight and turned it up on its ankles and um, have just done some great things with it. Is there any one brand or person today that you would say has really been influential in your career success or just personally? Yeah. You know, I, I think for me, the, um, the, and, and, and he's an, he's an icon, um, but not somebody who unfortunately is still with us, but somebody I still look to and say, wow, you know, the way that they thought differently really inspired me is Pete Rozelle. You know, Pete Rozelle created the modern day Super Bowl. You know, he also recognized that the NFL was more than just a sports league. He recognized the power of the shield and that the fact that each of these NFL franchises was really an ambassador to their community and laid the foundation, I believe, for what, you know, Tim Ellis is doing today at the NFL and really continuing to drive that community connection. You know, I grew up in New York. I've been a Giants fan, as you can see, my entire life. And yeah. I'm a huge sports enthusiast. I've had the privilege of working with the NFL in, in past careers. Um, but I admire their ability to continue to dive into the vertical integration of being in a community, in a town with a franchise. I think they do it probably better than anybody. Yeah, I mean, their marketing is outstanding. Uh, I, it's, it, their strategy is out, is more outstanding. I mean, the marketing that they're doing is wonderful, but they're just, their, their appreciation for what it is to establish a franchise in a town and the, the undertaking that you need to do from not just selling merch, but the way you engage, the way you give back, um, the way you embrace the different segments, there's just depth of thinking there that's to be applauded. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it goes back to just even what you said too, listening, like getting that feedback. I think just the NFL, um, not getting too off topic, but just hearing back from the players themselves, or you can say the employees themselves of concussion protocol and all these type of things that, you know, what can we do to increase safety? I think that's one of the play 60. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, what would you say is your superpower? What is it that makes Doug so successful? Um, so I'll give you the professional answer and then I'll give you um, <laughs> the non-professional answer. That's probably more grounded in the truth. So I think the professional answer that I'll give you, is I, I think I have a unique combination of right brain, left brain. Um, I can look at a balance sheet really quickly and understand it. Um, I can get involved in the numbers and I do today. Uh, I appreciate the business and the opportunity to drive the business. Truly I do. And that allows me to make really informed decisions when it comes to the other side of the brain, which is more of the creative. You know, I, I, I'm not the guy who's going to design the ad but I can look at an ad or hear a pitch and figure out maybe how to enhance it and make it a little bit more effective. Um, you know, a strategic minded creative thinker or a creative minded business thinker. That's something that I think is a pretty powerful blend that hopefully I bring to the table. My hidden superpower, which if you've worked with me, you would know is not so hidden is that I have probably the most finely tuned bullshit detector on the planet. <laughs> I am incredibly good. And I say that with all the humility in the world, whether it's in a presentation, whether it's in a document of just sniffing out nonsense. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me in this world, especially given that it's not my money, it's franchisees money that has become an incredibly valuable tool. It has allowed us to avoid some pitfalls. It's also allowed me, I think the opportunity to push some people to think a little bit differently to make a difference. And that's really what it's all about. You know, somebody who's trying to sell you something, too hard um and you start to poke holes in the foundation crumbles you know i take that personally because what you're really trying to do is you're trying to manipulate me in the business mm-hmm. and that's not something that's that that i that sits well with me and fortunately i've assembled a, a team of professionals who have that same degree of passion to want to make a difference as humans as individuals as part of a team and protective of the brand the brand is personal to them and i think that's incredible yeah, and I think that's something you can't teach. What you just said there too is, you know, you can adapt to people, but just the the talent to, like you said, sniff out the bullshit. Like you're no, you can teach. You can teach it. Um, you know, over time you start to, you know, I think one of the things that that I'm I'm probably um, known for is I'm pretty consistent in terms of how I take things apart or put them back together again. You know, my logic train, how I like a slide built in PowerPoint my belief in a strong narrative, but the team that, that I've had the opportunity to lead for the last nine years has gotten very good at recognizing and almost interpreting what am I going to ask? And what I appreciate about that is it allows them to express a strong point of view in a way that gets through, you know, marketers that have success can run the risk of becoming closed minded and lack curiosity. I don't lack curiosity. I just believe in having a point of view. And if you don't have one, I'll give you one. But I love the fact that I've got a group of folks that have incredibly strong points of view that aren't afraid to advocate, especially when it goes counter to what my thinking is. And that makes for really fun meetings. You know, our marketing family is a family. Think about your own family. You sit across the table. You don't agree with everybody. It's not every meal is not a great one. 
mm-hmm. but you love each other and you care about each other and you have each other's backs. And I think my team would say that all of those things about me as their leader. Yeah. Okay. Sounds, sounds like an environment where, and so similar to kind of my background too, is if there's a new data tool out there, for instance, you mentioned reputation, just, you know, being comfortable coming to Doug or to your boss and saying, Hey, here's this new tool out there. Here's how I think it could help our website or making a, a request to your superior saying, you know, this could drive more traffic to our website or hurt, your, hurt or improve our search functionality or something like that. It seems like the culture and the environment you've created has you know, made your team comfortable kind of coming to you and requesting, hey, this could help Pearl. You know, here's my backing of it. What do you, what do you think? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So really, um, we always like to, you know, for our audience in regard to passion and for those that, you know, maybe they're stuck in a nine to five or, you know, they went to school for this or they thought they were going to do this, you know, what is, and you can get more than one, but what is one piece of advice you give our listeners to, you know, follow your gut or, you know, if you went to school for this, but you feel like you want to do this just to kind of give them that push or, you know, you saying you weren't always, you know, didn't think you're going to be in branding, but, but now you are in branding and marketing and advertising. Yeah. Um, so what I would say is a great question. What I would say is stop focusing and stressing out about the right way to do something or stop worrying to death about the wrong way to do something. Focus on a way, craft a way, recognize that along that journey, there's sort of three levels of what I would call learning. There's, there's learning, learning opportunities, which happen every day, happen at every level. There are mistakes, which is basically that learning opportunity happening more than once. And then there's what I would call the, we need to have a conversation when the same pattern of behavior continues to rear itself or the same poor decision continues to rear itself. And that number three is really what you want to avoid, but you really want to embrace the learning experiences, you know, focus on the learning experiences, minimize the mistakes and avoid at all costs. We need to have a conversation conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, way too much time spent on trying to focus on perfection versus celebrating progress. Um, and I'm guilty of that in, in my career. I'm guilty of that in my leadership style. And that's something that I'm really proud of my growth is that I've become a leader who really focuses as much on celebrating progress as I do perfection. Perfection is very rare. And there's only about 20% of the things you work on where it needs to be absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get something to the 80% level, whether it's the research that you need to make a decision, whether it's the decision that you've made in the action, or whether it's the actual execution, you can get it to the 80% level. You have to ask yourself, is that 20% diminishing returns or is it really going to, to enhance the output of the project? Yeah, I love that. We talk a lot about self-education. I'm wondering if there is a book you're reading right now or one that you would recommend for a up and coming marketer who's looking to up their game. So I, I would say, um, you know, the ANA website is incredible because you have truly firsthand accounts and experiences from leaders that are doing it and that are sharing with you, um, lessons learned. So I would lean heavy into that. You know, I, I think we live in a, in a input 
society. And so there are a number of sources of input. I, I, I would just say you have to figure out which sources of input are meaningful to you, which podcasts are meaningful to you, which publications are meaningful to you. And they may be meaningful on a particular topic, but may not, may not be meaningful long term. You know, if your brand is a challenger brand, and let's say your marketing budget's $5 million, does what the chief marketing officer from Procter & Gamble has to say really going to impact and resonate with you? Perhaps, perhaps not. So seek out your own Sherpas, you know, seek out your own marketing Sherpas, either from people that you've interacted with, brands that you admire, places where you want to work and engage. You know, the best sources of learning come from conversations. And that's part of the reason why I'm involved in Adweek's um, executive mentoring program. Uh, I'm heavily involved in the ANA. And, and one of the things I love to do is to lecture at universities, big and small, um, because I think being able to make yourself vulnerable, but also in part, some of the lessons that you've learned to either help ex help accelerate someone's growth or potentially guide them away from making a bad choice. I think that's a responsibility you have and it's something I really enjoy. That's awesome. I have, I have one last bonus sure. question. And, and you probably get invited on a lot of podcasts and you've done a lot of different interviews and speeches. Is there, is there one thing or one question that has never been asked that you're like, how come this never comes up or <laughs> something that you think, man, I should really talk about this. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to keep it to myself. Um, you know, there's, there's what's interesting is in, in engaging in this new form of, you know, content that we've all sort of been thrown into you go on, you do some good ones, you do some bad ones. The questions tend to be somewhat structured in the same manner. Um, what I'm finding more so now at this point in its journey is that there's a much greater interest in the person versus just the work product they're putting out. And, and I enjoy that, honestly, because, um, you know, for whatever success I perhaps have generated, I've also had some really big screw ups and some decisions I've made that perhaps weren't great. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's as much to learn from that as there is perhaps, you know, the things you read about in Forbes or on Adweek or on LinkedIn. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. Since you brought it up, can you, can you tell us about one of your failures? Yeah. Um, it was a career decision that I made. Uh, and I'll call it a successful failure because I've never made this type of decision for the same reason again. But when I was at Avon Products, um, I was the founding director of marketing and creative services for the Mark brand, which was Avon's attempt and successful in really bringing in a new uh, upscale consumer and also bringing in a much younger consumer than your mother's Avon. Um, and Within 18 months, we drove about $118 million of pure incrementality. Um, the marketing plan that I authored won Women's Wear Daily's Best Executed Launch Strategy, and I was named one of the marketers in Next Generation from Brand Week. That's kind of the equivalent in this world uh, of having a, a pro ball season and then becoming a free agent. Um, I made a career decision to leave Avon driven in large part by the financial package that they put forth um, and didn't really stop and think about it, 
am I selling my soul to, soul to Mephistopheles in the interim? You know, when the New York Yankees come calling and they fly you to headquarters on the private jet and, you know, they show you the house that you're going to have and all that fun stuff, you know, when you've never had that, you know, when you've been playing triple A ball, you, you all of a sudden get enthralled. Um, I, in retrospect, owed Avon a greater degree of loyalty um, because they gave me a tremendous opportunity to write a script and to create a brand and to innovate. And I really should have stayed for at least another year, if not two, to continue to see the brand through, um, you know, the first five years of its growth. And I regret it. I regret leaving the company when they did. Andrea Jung to this day is one of the most inspiring CEOs I've ever worked with. Um, and I fell in love with the people at Avon at that time because there was just such a, a focus on people and humanity. And, um, you know, sometimes the other side of the fence with the bigger house isn't necessarily the best fit. So that's one decision that if I had to do it over again, I would. Although I will tell you, I learned so much from it. And it was such a sort of uh, a reality check and humility check that I don't know if I would have gotten had I stayed. Yeah. Um, I needed that. I needed that, that humbling moment to realize that, you know, I made the wrong choice in my career up to that point. I hadn't, I had made great choices. So it was a humbling point. And it's made me appreciate where I am. And it's part of the reason I'm nine and a half years into my current role. Awesome. Yeah. Th thank you yeah. for, for sharing yeah. that story because I think it, I mean, good lesson for me. It was that, was one of the questions we used to ask is what are some of your failures or what has been the hardest part of your journey? And, Oh, we haven't asked that question in a while. So yeah. this is refreshing. We, <laughs> so thank you. Not a problem. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we had. Um, Doug, thank you so much for your time and, and for responding to my message and, and uh, just being willing to hop, hop on here and talk about Pearl, talk about you and, and your passions. Like it's really going to no worries guys. I wish you guys a lot of luck with this, you know, as you refine it, keep me informed. Um, and uh, I look forward to staying connected. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you everyone. Hopefully you were able to pull some great information out of this conversation. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Please be sure to like and follow at fighting fire podcast. Have a great day.